couple of weeks, I'm going to set aside our series of Christ of the book. And I want to provide you with another reminder. Now we start out every Sunday with the reminder, Maranatha. Well, today I want to provide you with another reminder. And we're going to do it each Sunday in the month of December. And that reminder is, he came. He came. Folks, it was said that Jesus Christ would be born. And he was. It was said that he would die. And he did. It was said that he would raise from the dead. And he did. It is said in his word that he would come again. So prepare. Prepare. Just as surely as all the other prophecies concerning his first advent has happened, the prophecies concerning his second will also take place. So over the next several weeks, over this Christmas season, we're going to talk about the wise men. And as a matter of fact, as we go through this, you're going to see that a lot of the Christmas songs that we sing really aren't biblically accurate. Especially the one we just sang, the first Noel, we three, I mean, or in we three kings, but also the three boys. We don't, the Bible didn't say how many. We're going to talk about that and what their purpose was. So today we're going to talk about the wise men. We're going to talk about the sign that they had that the king had been born and how significant is that. We're going to talk about their timing. We're going to talk about the gifts that they brought. The next Sunday, the 11th, we're going to talk about why he came. Folks, it's the greatest story that has ever been told. And you know what? It includes you. Why did he come? You're going to want to hear this because it has to do with you. It has to do with you. You don't want to miss it. If you're just curious from a personal standpoint, why did Christ come? It had to do with you. And my encouragement is that you take it personally. Why he came. Then on the 18th, we're going to be talking about the virgin birth. Important doctrinal truth. You say, Pastor, you talk about that every Christmas. Yeah, I know. And there's a reason why we talk about that every Christmas. And then on the 24th, Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the shepherds. We're going to talk about that announcement that was made to them. We're going to talk about the place where Christ was born. And folks, I got to tell you, where he was born, God's word tells us, 
not just the city, but where and the significance of where you don't want to miss it on Christmas Eve night as we talk about that announcement that was made to the shepherds and the significance of finding that babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Where is that manger? Why swaddling clothes? Pastor, you talk about that every Christmas. Yeah, because it's meaningful. And we need to know these things. And I got news for you. What we're going to be talking about, it is, it's sweet, it's glorious. It is so much more than a children's Christmas story. The birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ Jesus leaves mankind without an excuse not to believe. It's public knowledge, historically verifiable, certain. Historical events, historical facts bear witness to Jesus of Nazareth was born, he lived, he died, and he was resurrected. And mankind has no excuse for not believing. Well, we're going to end today talking about what mankind's excuse is. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, tells us that in the, but when the fullness of time was come, what does that mean? But when the fullness of time was come, we've talked about this before, does that mean that right when God the Father said, okay, I'm ready, we know from prophetic, from Scripture, the reality of it is God had given them, the nation of Israel, the prophets, the nation, an idea of when to expect the Messiah to be born. When the fullness of time was come, that's why there were those in the temple like Simeon and Anna who were looking for, expecting the Messiah because it was time. They were without excuse. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. God the Father said these things would happen through His Word, and they did. The virgin birth, the star, the location, you name it. God's Word says that it was going to happen in this way, and surely it happened just in the way that God's Word said it was going to happen. Miracles happen. The birth of Christ was an absolute miracle in the fullness of time. And it's all reasons for us to believe and to trust in God's Word. Turn with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. We're not going to be doing a whole lot of jumping around in Scripture today. Not like usual. Most some of you are going, Phew. okay. Tim, 
I thought he was going to shout for joy. <laughs> Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Matthew 1, 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Do you realize the significance of that? God with us? Verse 25. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Jehovah, our Savior. Yeshua, Yeshua Joseph. Jesus, Jehovah, our Savior. Matthew 2. The visit of the wise men. I want to talk about who are these wise men? Not kings. Not kings. That's just another church tradition that we have no idea where it came from. Bible didn't say they were kings. It says they were magi. said they were wise men. What were they looking for? Who were they looking for? How did they know to leave the east and go all the way to Jerusalem looking for a certain someone that that would be the place that he would appear? Who were these guys? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And what about their gifts? What do those things signify? Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. God's word didn't tell us how, how many wise men there were. I mean, People say, well, there had to have been three because there are three gifts. That, that's, uh, that really means nothing. It means except for what those three gifts signify, we're going to talk about. We don't know if there were two or 200. But they were wise men. And they came from the east. These wise men, I want you to understand... And this is significant. These wise men were not Gentiles. These were men who understood that there was going to be a sign from God because it was promised that were looking for this sign, that evidently were expecting this sign. Gentiles would have no interest in some king in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, we know from Ephesians chapter 2 that, that the Gentiles were without hope. You Gentiles were lost, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. These weren't Gentiles. These were Jews who had been part of, that had gone into captivity 
their forefathers, their great-granddads or great-great-granddads, been almost 400 years since the captivity. But these were Jews who were left over from the captivity from that part of the world. But the key is they were expecting. And they saw the sign that was an indicator that the king was going to be born. They say, we have seen his star. Gentiles weren't looking for a star. They wouldn't know anything about a star. These were people that were interested in God's prophetic program and the king that was to be, be born. Another thing, real quick, and there's about two years between in Bethlehem, in the stable, to what we're looking at today. About two years. Actually, uh, Luke 2, 39, he leaves, Joseph and Mary leave and go to Nazareth. Uh, this takes place in between Luke 2, 29, uh, 39 and 40. Two years. This is two years later. And I'm going to show you how we know that. So the wise men, they weren't at the manger in Bethlehem. They weren't there. Something else you need to understand, in Bethlehem, we're going to talk about that more uh, when we, uh, on the 24th. Bethlehem and the significance of Bethlehem and how important that is. But you need to understand something about this Herod. Herod was not Jewish. Herod was a Dumian. He was from Esau. He should, he should not have been king. He was usurping the authority of who the rightful king was. No wonder he got all excited when they came and said, we're looking for the king. It's like, uh-oh. See, he had been placed there by Rome. He was a surrogate of Rome. He was not even Jewish. And cruel. You talk about cruel. Herod was cruel, just as we're going to see in a second, just how cruel this man is. And all three of the Herods are going to be cruel. I'm sure this one here takes the cake. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. They didn't go to Bethlehem. They went to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. And if you're looking for a king, where are you going to go? You're going to go to the capital. So they came to Jerusalem. They had seen his star in the east. The star shone brightly and folks it was not some planetary alignment. I believe this was his star. I believe it was a special creation of God. I believe it was given as his star as an indication that the Messiah, the King of Israel, had been born, just as God's Word said it was going to be born. It was his star. It was not some explainable, well, the stars lined up and the planets got in this line and so it caused it to be. That's hogwash. That's hogwash. 
Not sure what hogwash is, because I've never seen a hog washed anyway. What they see was a miracle of God to prove that the King of kings and the Lord of lords had been born. And the reason for that is because He didn't want you to scratch your head and doubt and go, well, is that true? When they saw His star appear, they were over in Babylon area. They were in the east. They saw His star that was an indication they, they were astronomers, not astrologers, but astronomers. They, under, they understood the significance of that because they were Jewish. They knew the Scriptures. They knew what the Scripture says. They saw it, and it was the excitement. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go and worship Him. They understood. There's no Gentile that would have said, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Let's go to Jerusalem. See the new king. Matter of fact, it's going to take them almost two years to get there. Two years to get there. Verse 2. Saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. The word worship there is proskuneo. It means to be prostate. It, it means to bow down in worship. It, it, it means to bow in adoration. It means to worship. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? You know what's significant about that? In the canon of Scripture, in Matthew, the first book of the so-called New Testament, we've gone through that many times, this is the very first question asked. And we know that Mary actually asked the first question when she says, how can this be? And so the same point can be made whether it's the wise men, because here in Matthew, but that as you're studying and you come to the, this Matthew, this is the first question that you would come to. Where is he that's king of the Jews? You know what the first question is in the Old Testament? And I think the two are related. You know what the first question in the Old Testament is? Adam, where are you? Where are you? Signifying that there had been a breach, there had been a separation. When God told Adam, the day you eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt die. Man died spiritually. Of course God knew where Adam was. He knows everything. But when he said, Adam, where are you? That was an indication that a separation had taken place. And glory to God, the first question here is, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Christ Jesus coming saying, I'm going to remedy 
that first question. Adam, where are you? Separated from God. Apart from God. No longer walking in the cool of the evening. No longer having that perfect relationship. Adam, where are you? Where is he, king of the Jews? And Luke, we have the first question. Mary says, how can this be? They, both of them are pretty good first questions. How can this be? Both indicating that it's God's plan and purpose to remedy what took place in the Garden of Eden. For we have seen His star. His star. Look at Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. Verse 5. Jeremiah 23. Verse 5. See, this is what the wise men... This, this is part of what they were going on. This was part of the promise of God. Jeremiah 23, verse 5, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. The Hebrew word, the branch is zemach. It is a star. It is absolutely the brightest star in the constellation Boy, it'd be something if it was Virgo, wouldn't it? Virgin? Well, it is. See, God doesn't make mistakes. I will raise into David a righteous star, Zemach, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. We have seen his star and we've come to worship him. This is what they were expecting. This is what they had been told was going to take place. By the way, you need to understand that the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. It is Satan that has corrupted and turned the stars of heaven into a terrible thing with astrology. But I'm here to tell you the gospel story is painted in the heavens. So man is without excuse. From Leo to Virg Virgo, Pisces, all of those had meaning at one time until Satan corrupted it. Now I'm not telling you to get into astrology. Absolutely not. It's devilish. It's satanic. Stay away from it. But Satan corrupts anything and everything. That's always been his plan. But the heavens declare the glory of God. Who is the glory of God? Christ Jesus himself. And that's what the, that's what the heavens declare. Look at numbers. And if I was smart enough, and I'm not, I would teach on that because it is just an incredible study. I have read several books, or I have attempted to read several books. And I'm just, it's, it's beyond me. But for some of you that are smart enough, E.W. Bullinger has a book called The Witness of the Stars. I've got it somewhere around here. You're welcome to take it and read it. It's fascinating. 
pretty interesting. I just can't get it because it's, anyway. But you're welcome to it. Some of you smart people. See, see I hesitate to say that because now if you come and say, can I borrow that book? I'm going to go, oh, where really? you think? Oh, but I'm like, I won't do that. The book is available. I'll tell you what. I'm going to find it. I'm going to put it on the table. You take it. You read it. Bring it back. And we'll, no questions asked. Who came and got it, okay? But it is a good book. Numbers 24. Look at Numbers 24. Verse 17. This is Balaam who was hired to curse Israel over and over and over again. Balak tried to hire Balaam to curse Israel. And every time he got up to curse Israel, out of his mouth came praise. It came blessing. He couldn't do it. Well, look at Numbers 24, 17. Because this also is what these wise men are taking into consideration. Numbers 24, verse 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Seth. In other words, he is going to deliver them and establish perfect justice. This is what the wise men, however many it, there, there was, this is what they're talking about. We have seen his star, for we have seen his star, his zemach. In the east, and we've come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. I bet he was. He was troubled. This could not be good news for a fake king, someone who was usurping the authority. But it wasn't just him who was troubled. See, I mean, it's bad enough that the king was troubled. And all Jerusalem. All Jerusalem. They were troubled. Evidently, these wise men, evidently, when they showed up and they started broadcasting why they were here, it, it, it got attention. Word got out. They, what are those guys here doing? Well, they're... They're looking for the king of Jerusalem. They're looking for the king of Israel. You mean the rightful king? They're looking for the rightful king. Well, word spread. What an impact. And instead of being joyful, instead of being glad, instead of being excited about what was happening... Instead of saying, let's rush to the temple, let's rush to the synagogue, let's, hey, you Pharisees, Sadducees, you scribes, open up the word, teach us, what does the Bible say about the Messiah? Could it be real? Could it be here? Is it time? They were troubled. They were troubled. That kind of is a clear indication of the condition of their heart at this time. Wicked 
and ready to reject. Ready to say, we will not have this man to reign over us. I think those are sad words. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now again, the Lord Jesus, Joseph and Mary, we know from Luke 2, had already gone back up to Nazareth. They had left and went to Nazareth. You know, eight days after he was born, he was in Jerusalem at the temple, going through the, the prescribed uh, uh, rituals and sacrifices and circumcision and all that needed to be done. And then from there, 33 days later, they leave for Nazareth. So, so the Christ child was already up in Nazareth, not in Jerusalem, certainly not in Bethlehem. Verse 4, and when he had gathered all the chief priests, this is talking about Herod, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem, hey, and by the way, this kind of points out that it's not just modern day leaders that really don't know anything about the word of God, but that's a whole other topic. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Where should the Messiah be born? And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently, that means with accuracy, he inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem because that's basically he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. This, the Greek word here is pation, not brephos. It's not a baby. It is a young child. Go and search diligently for the young child. And when he had found him, and when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Not. What a liar. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till, implying time and distance, is what the word there, heard, lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. See, the star was gone by that time. By the time they got there, or they had just gone right to 
Bethlehem. The star was no longer there. They knew it was to be born in Bethlehem. They want to know, what it's been to you, where is he? We want to come and worship him. And when they go out, the star appears. They see it again. It makes another miraculous appearance. And the star leads them to where the Christ child, not the Christ baby, is not in a manger, but in a house. And when they were coming to the house, see, words have meaning, right? Words have meaning. The Holy Spirit could have said, write the manger there. But he doesn't. It says house. And when you found him, bring me word again. And so the and when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young Padion with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three items, three important factors in temple worship. Three things connected to the temple and worship. I mean, the least of the reason is uh, Joseph and Mary, when they have to flee into Egypt, are going to be taken care of. This, this, this was in order for them not to have to worry about finances when they have to leave to go to Egypt. God, God is taking care. God is intervening. He's taking care of them until they leave Egypt, come back to Nazareth when Herod dies. So that's the least of the reasons they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why not just a whole lot of gold, a whole lot of silver, a whole lot of anything else that would have been valuable that they could have used to sustain them during that time? Gold... Can anyone doubt that the temple is saturated with gold? Frankincense is an incense that makes up an important aspect of the incense that's burned in the temple. You can't make that incense that they're to burn without the frankincense. The frankincense is something that the priests were to pull together. It, it identifies with the priest. The gold identifies with the king. Frankincense identifies with priest. You know what myrrh is? It's also an incense, but you know what it's used for? If you said embalming, you'd be right. And it's tied to prophets. The offices of Christ Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. And these three gifts that these three are, that these Wise men, don't know how many, I don't see how easy it is to fall into that trap. They brought very significant in identifying who he is. He is prophet. He is priest. He is king. And these wise men 
from the east whose kinfolk had been part of the captivity when Jerusalem, when Judah was taken captive and taken into Babylonian captivity, their kinfolk were from back then. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for the king, frankincense for the priest, myrrh for the prophet. All connected with the tabernacle. And by the way, John 1.14, it tells us that he came and dwelt among us. You know what the word dwelt is there? Tabernacled. Tabernacle. It all just... Reasons to believe. Reasons to believe. Verse 12, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be there until I bring thee word for Herod will seek to destroy the young child to destroy him. Who's behind Herod that want to do that? Satan. It all goes back to the garden as we're getting ready to see. God had already told Satan that the seed of the woman was going to crush his head. You're going to bruise his heel, but He's going to crush your head. And ever since then, Satan has been trying to disrupt, to stop the seed of the woman from being born. If he can get the seed of the woman, the Savior of the world, if he could get him killed, who wins? Satan wins. Matter of fact, on the cross, I think Satan thought, yeah, I did it. I did it. He just didn't know what God had planned with that death and that burial and, oh, yeah, the resurrection. How that changes everything. Everything. Well, Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying out of Egypt have I called my son then Herod when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under why did he pick that number because remember, he had asked him, when did that star appear? He asked them with accuracy. Now, how long ago did that star appear? And in all the coast, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, in Ramah, was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, and Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, 
for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And when he had heard that Achilles did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. All part of God's perfect plan and purpose. And here's the bottom line, folks. Wise men still seek him. Amen? Wise men still seek him. Foolish men reject all that God has gloriously, wonderfully, graciously, lovingly provided on our behalf. Wise men still seek him. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I got news for you. There are fewer and fewer wise men today. Fewer and fewer people are seeking God. As a matter of fact, I would say that the large majority of mankind today rejects and hates God. I don't like saying it, but it's true. Why reject? Why, why would you reject such love? Why would you reject such a gift? Why? why? Isn't this the greatest story ever told? Isn't it the greatest news? Gospel means good news. Why would you turn your back? Why would you raise your fist? Why would you detest such love and grace? I think there's only one explanation. Okay, two. Man is dead in sins and trespasses. And until he's made alive in Christ, he's going to reject. But I think it goes back to Genesis chapter 3. You, I'll tell you what's wrong with mankind today. It's the same thing that was wrong with them in the garden. Man wants to be his own God. That has not changed. Wise men still seek him. Foolish men are determined to be their own God. Call their own shots. Determine what they think is their own destiny. And I got news for them. That's foolishness. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but 
of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it. Had God said that? Yeah, God had said that. Neither shall you touch it. Had God said that? No. See what happens when you start adding to God's word? You get into serious trouble, and that's what happened here. God said, don't eat it. They could have played pitch with it. They could have done what they... God didn't say, neither shall you touch it. See, you, you see what happens? Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. See, touch it. Well, well I'm, I'm touching it. I'm not dying. Well, maybe the other part is not true either. Hung. See, it's what happens when you add to God's holy word. You get into big trouble. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that on the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. There you go. And that same reason back then is why man rejects God today, because he wants to be his own God. He wants to call his own shots. And I think that's tragic. It's absolute tragic. When your creator knows that the only thing that's going to make you right is believing by faith what his son Jesus Christ accomplished on Calvary's cross. No work, no deed, no effort, nothing you can do. Man sees himself in the role, I, I'm going to be like God's. I'm going to know right from wrong. And you know what man then chooses? Wrong. The wrong. Because I've got news for you. Man is not God. Far, far from it. But man, you certainly need God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this, this morning and we thank you again for your word. We thank you for how clearly it teaches us your purpose, your way. Father, we just pray that if there's someone here this morning that has rejected you, that continues to make themselves the God of their life, may they understand how destructive that is. And they don't have to die and go to hell. They do not have to die and live a eternity separated from you that by faith they can trust you today. 
and have everlasting life. But they can't save themselves. Father, I pray that there's anyone here that's never by faith trusted Christ, that this is the day they'll just surrender and by faith they'll believe. Father, may we serve you faithfully. And as this Christmas season comes upon us, may we use it as an opportunity to point a skeptical, lost, dying, unbelieving world to the Savior. And not just the babe in the manger, but the Christ dying on the cross. We pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.